Hello and welcome to another episode of Grazia's Life Advice Podcast. Thank you for downloading and choosing to spend some time with us. I'm Rhiannon and this time we're keeping it in the Grazia family. Hi, I'm Kenya Hunt. I'm fashion director at Grazia and I have a book coming out this autumn called Girl. An American in London, Kenya has written for some of the greatest publications on both sides of the Atlantic. We're so lucky to have her both on the Grazia team and with us today for the podcast. Her book, a collection of essays on black womanhood called Girl, is out in November. It's going to be huge. In our chat, you'll be relieved to hear she thinks the normal rules of fashion are on hold due to the unique circumstances of 2020. I just think whatever it takes to get you through, whether that be (laughs) some frills or tailoring or a dress or literally just like, you know, elasticated waistbands. Like there is no judgment. I feel like 2020 needs to definitely be a judgment-free zone. And sticking with the lockdown theme, she says the secret to staying sane at home with the family is not to sweat the small stuff. I just don't have the bandwidth to like clean as much as I'd like. Yeah. So I've had to learn to pick my battles and like release control. I hear a spill or something break in the background, I'll just be a little bit deaf to it. Yes. <laughs> just let it happen, I'll clean it later. And later on, there's a warning if you're someone who likes to get in on those bitchy workplace chats. It's like an episode of Dynasty or something where you're all like <laughs> smiling and hugging and then somebody walks away and then, you know, then they start spilling the real tea. Yeah. I mean, that stuff is fun too with it, you know, mm. but it, in moder- like in extreme moderation. <laughs> It's a pleasure to have her with us for Grazia Life Advice. Here's Kenya Hunt. Hey, Kenya, how are you? I'm well, how are you doing, Rhiannon? Fantastic. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Now, it's quite unusual, but we should say you are Grazia's fashion director. So we do know each other, don't we? (laughs) Yes, we do. But you also, as well as being a fantastic fashion director, have this book coming out called Girl, which is, it's going to be absolutely huge. Can you... Can you, if they've not heard about the book, tell people what it's all about? Yeah, so it's a collection of essays, um, most of which were written by myself, and then five of which were written by, you know, an incredible group of women, including Kendi's Carty-Williams, who wrote the novel Queenie, Bunmi Feto, who's a, um, you know, a prominent voice in the landscape of beauty, Abele Okobi, who is at Facebook, is the head of public policy for a number of regions, um, Freddie Harrell, who's, you know, an influencer and is uh, an entrepreneur, And then Jessica Horn, who is an incredible poet and also an activist. The book is very much a love letter to Black women. It explores um, modern Black womanhood against the backdrop of social media. But I also, you know, think it's a book for all women, really, um, because it very much speaks to that universal search for purpose. I think particularly right now when the, you know, the backdrop to our lives is so incredibly turbulent and worrying in a lot of ways. What were you hoping it would do? I mean, obviously, it's now come out in this year where we've had this huge Black Lives Matter movement. What are you hoping people read the book and take away from it? I, you know, the book is very much about how Black women very much support and advocate for each other, for ourselves in a world that often and very consistently does not. And so I wanted women to read it and I wanted it to strike a chord with them whether you're a black woman or you know a woman of any background, because I think most women can relate to this at some stage in their, their life. And so I wanted women to walk away feeling less alone and sort of recognizing the value and the, um, the relationships and the, those bonds that we foster among each other and the, the communities that we share. Community is becoming one of those words 
that people um, are using to the point where it, it can often lose its meaning. But for me, it's made such a huge difference in my life, particularly social media. I know there's a lot of chat about how detrimental social media can be to one's mental health. And also, oh, God, I just uh, watched The Social Dilemma, which is like a terrifying <laughs> documentary. Um, but, yeah. you know, I have to say, as an expat, as an American living abroad, and as a Black woman who's been navigating largely white circumstances, social media was really helpful for me in terms of like, it helped me build a network of, of women in my life, a chosen sisterhood that really has meant, been the making of me over here and in my life here in the UK. And so I think it's, you know, I hope that women can just read it and and really see the value in advocating for ourselves in those instances when you come across the teacher at university who tells you that you might not be cut out to do the things that you want to do, or if you're in the workplace, in the office, and you're not feeling completely empowered or or you're at home if you go to church because there's a book about like my experiences coming up in organized religion and you're and you're feeling like you know your light is kind of being dimmed or squashed or that sort of thing there's you know we really um can get our power from each other and also just find our shelter and sort of peace in each other as well in like really turbulent times yeah and when can I ask when was the book started like when did you start thinking about writing it and how did it come to be I started thinking about it in pre during pregnancy and I started writing it on my mat leave. Wow. Uh, and so towards the end of my maternity leave, but I'd always wanted to write a book. I'd been actually working on a different book idea and it just was not doable. Like I'll have to revisit it because it was so research heavy. It was the kind of thing that you'd have to just live in a library or live like out in the field, interviewing things out of people to do. And I just thought that that will be something I'll do for a different point in my life. And um, I don't know about you, because, you know, our, we have children who are about the same age, roughly. Mm. And so I think there was something about pregnancy for me that made me quite introspective, I think, mm. towards the that end stretch, because um, my youngest, as was my first, was quite late. So you just have all this time where you're just waiting, waiting, <laughs> yeah. waiting, and just thinking about things. And so I, I had these ideas. Um, I, I'm a big believer in journaling. So I was journaling a lot and I had all these ideas. And I thought it could be nice to sort of write about it at greater at greater length in a book, as opposed to just writing a piece about it for a magazine or a newspaper, which is what I would have traditionally done in mm. the past when inspiration struck. Yeah. Well, it's going to be huge. It's all over your Instagram already, if you've not seen it. I hope so. <laughs> as the most beautiful <laughs> cover as well, I have to say. Thanks. It looks fantastic. So obviously, we Thank know you. you first and foremost for fashion. So should we jump straight into your first piece of advice, which I am I'm very interested in. You say you get a tailor to do up your denim. Yeah. So here's the thing with that. It's so I love to wear denim. And my issue with it was fit because I have, you know, like hips and a butt or whatever. Like everyone has a different shape body. And so it's, you know, sometimes with high street denim in particular or like various brands, even really expensive luxury denim, they it's designed almost for like, you know, a certain kind of fit model or body type. And I found that like, I, you know, I'd find a pair of jeans that I love that fit in the legs. And then as soon as I got to the butt area and the waist, there would be all these mm. problems. And so, uh, you know, a close friend of mine who had a similar issue, she was like, you know what, I just take mine to a tailor. 
it's, you know, it's not expensive at all. And they just do a couple nips and tucks and it just looks perfect. Cause with her, her denim, her jeans always fit her mm -hmm. so perfectly. And so, and this is a friend who lives in Italy in Milan where they definitely like, you know, having something tailored is not an uncommon mm -hmm. thing. So I started doing it here and it just makes such a difference and it's not expensive. Like, you know, I'll drop off like a couple pairs of jeans or whatever, and it'll be, you know, 15 pounds, 20 pounds or whatever, yeah. like, you know, for two or three, I mean, depending on who you go to, cause it's not like major work, mm. but it has changed my life <laughs> basically. Cause I, I used to hate, I love wearing jeans, but I used to hate the experience of mm. shopping for jeans because the fit would always really frustrate me. So that the whole Taylor thing um, has changed things. Although mind you, you could argue that we shouldn't even have to resort mm -hmm. to that. Like you should be able to just find a pair of jeans that fit you properly or whatever, um, which we will be exploring in an upcoming issue of Grazia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that one of your most asked questions? People must ask you for advice all the time, but is it, where's the best jeans? That must be all what women really want to know. People ask me that all the time. And I just think the issue of fit is such a universal problem, no matter what size you wear, like our, our bodies are so particular to us. Mm. It's hard to find a good universal fit. I think it's easier with dresses and skirts, but trousers and, and denim are really hard. And so mm. with everyone nowadays, I just recommend a tailor to like fix whatever the issue is. If it's like the an extra bunch at the crop or a an extra gap at the back of the waistband, because it can just make such a big difference. Also to how comfortable you feel, because I used to just feel so awkward in things that I felt like didn't fit me properly. And now, like, you know, with the denim, I just don't even think about it. It's just a little, little thing, but it makes such a big difference in, like, how you feel throughout the day. And while I've got you talking about clothes, because not everybody gets to email fashion directors questions every day like I have to. But um, <laughs> we're moving into winter in this kind of quasi-semi-lockdown. We might have just felt like we were getting used to what we should wear every day. What do you think we should be wearing when we're at home? Maybe not just jogging bottoms every day as it gets colder and colder. Yeah, I say this as I'm literally wearing like a tracksuit today. <laughs> I Honestly, I just say wear whatever will make you feel good to help you get through this mm. period. The sun just broke out and it has changed my mood so dramatically. Like it was raining all weekend and it was raining this morning and I felt like really low and like I was fighting a cold. And so for me, it was a hoodie. Like I was like, I can't dress up this morning. I just need a hoodie. Like I just think whatever it takes to get you through, whether that be <laughs> some frills or a tailoring or a dress or literally just like, you know, elasticated waistbands. Like there is no judgment. I feel like 2020 mm -hmm. needs to permanently be a judgment-free zone. Um, and so you just have to do whatever you can to get over this hump. Make it through it. Yeah, that's basically my my whole mood and mantra for this year is I'm just doing the best I can with what I have. Um, yes. And so when it comes to the clothes, I think just do the, take the same approach. <laughs> okay, good. We've all got permission now to wear jobs. Thanks, <laughs> Right, let's move on to your second piece of advice. Tell me what that is. Um, so my second piece of advice is, gosh, I have to think through my list. So, um, you know, there's that idea. Well, we're not doing a lot of um, going out these days. But I mean, one piece of advice that really helped me for when I did have to go to a lot of different events and things was like, if you're in doubt, always err on the side of dressing up a little bit more than mm. you would have. Like, you know, if I were to head into an, you know, an environment that I wasn't familiar with or a group of people I didn't know, I'd rather be like a little 
too dressed up than not dressed enough or, you know, so that's yeah. just like, you know, each person is different, but it was a word of advice that was given to me when I first started out in this business. And it has stood me in good stead because usually, you know, you get invited to so many different kinds of events, but again, this might not be the most relevant to our lives now, but I'm um, mm. even in this, I, you know, in this age of the kind of like, um, illicit uh, dinner party. Like, I don't know if you're, that lots of people are having these like sort of dinners at home and that sort of thing. And so if you're ever feeling like you're just not sure which way to go, just like, you know, adding that little extra, um, that has helped me. But so, I mean, I guess that's sort of my last piece of like fashion related advice that has stayed with me over um, over the years that I tend to sort of like live and dress by. Mm. And you must get asked this question all the time. So it's probably rude, actually, to, you know, because your whole career is based on fashion. But what is the importance of fashion? And when you say get overdressed, it's dead, it, you know, it stood me in good stead. What is it that is important about fashion? And why should we all care about our, our clothes? It is such a um, an expression of who we are. Mm. But also it it can impact the way we see ourselves and the way we feel, fashion is a real extension of who we are and how we see ourselves. You know, it's a reflection of that, but it also influences how we see ourselves and also influences the mood, or at least that's definitely the case for me. You know, I mentioned earlier, sometimes when I'm in a low mood or I'm feeling quite down, depending on what I wear, it can really sort of help, you know, it's, it, it can't, it can only go, but so far, you know, it's a nice quick fix. You know, if you're dealing with like, real mental health issues or depression or whatever, it's not going to solve that, but it can definitely help things. And so I love the way that fashion can really brighten the mood, particularly in a year like this. I mean, um, I was, I was following a really funny Twitter thread last night about the, um, exactly that. Like people were talking about the things that they were wearing in lockdown, some of the wilder things just to sort of like lift their mood and make them feel better and, and just to get a laugh on zoom. Um, so I think it, you know, I, I don't think we can dismiss the role that fashion can play during times of crisis. You know, these are clothes, we wear them on our back all day, every day. They definitely have an important role in our lives for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And your third piece of advice I love, because I just think, you know, lots of women can take this into their day every day. And it's that you can never be over-prepared. Tell me about how you've come to that. Well, that was in a, a piece of advice I was given in school. You know, we all kind of grow up with that advice that preparation is key. But it was really kind of drilled into my head when I was in school and I was preparing um, to start hunting for a job. I was being advised to do things that felt quite silly at the time, like, you know, anticipate what they might ask you on your job interview and answer the questions out loud. Mm -hmm. Or if you have to go like do some public speaking, like practice out loud, like just go those extra steps to feel, you know, like comfortable and like you're prepared and things like that. And now I don't, you know, I don't do all, I'm not like, you know, before a work meeting, like practicing what I'm going to say out loud or anything like that. But like when I was in school, just, I don't know, that sort of approach to preparation really stuck with me. And then I, when I started out in journalism, I started out in the fact checking department, which these are departments that don't really exist anymore, particularly here, but stateside, I was, um, you know, in a magazine called Jane and I started out as a research assistant and you have to like literally meticulously check mm. every single thing and get it legal to make sure that that story is prepared for publication so that no one can poke holes in it. And it was partly because we were always publishing something that was quite like, you know, like you just have to really be prepared to stand by what you're saying. Yeah. And that really stuck with me. So like whenever I'm writing something 
or if I'm going somewhere to do a talk or going to meet someone, I just want to make sure that I'm absolutely prepared because I feel better. Mm -hmm. Like I feel more, more confident heading into it Mm -hmm. and not like I'm on the back foot, but also because I think in this era of quick responsiveness, like people are just constantly like throwing things out there onto social media or onto Twitter or whatever, without necessarily like putting it through the proper, the proper process or preparation for it. Like when you think through like the view count that people have on social media, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people, Mm. millions of people, and you just throw it out there. Is what you're putting out there ready to be seen? Is it, you know, (laughs) are you prepared for it or whatever? So I just think these are things that get lost. And I try to like hold on to as a journalist, because I think it's so important. So I mean, I know we're in the age now, we have to work quickly, you have to move fast and like do things very quickly. But I think preparation is also sort of really you set up a mentoring program, haven't you? You yourself are now a mentor. And I'm thinking about you in school. Is that is that one of the pieces of advice you like to pass on to people? Yeah, I think it's good to give back, particularly if you are of a group that tends to be marginalized. If you don't see much of yourself in a position of power, I mean, whether uh, you are a woman, a black woman, an Asian woman, um, you know, disabled, like any group that tends to be marginalized. I think it's always hugely important to give back. I mean, I think it's important for people as, as in general on a human level. And then also when you're talking about things like, you know, class as well. I mean, particularly in media, because, you know, we're, we're, we're producing content that ultimately shapes the way that people think and that the way that they see themselves. And so I think it's especially important for media to be more diverse. And so with mentoring, it can be tricky to get a foot in the door and then, then even harder to stay in the room and to sort of just navigate all of these spaces and sort of rise. And so I think that's when mentoring can be really helpful, particularly if you don't come from families or a background that will give you all of the information that you need. If you didn't go to the school that has the friendship network that can give you the um, the information that you need to find out about job openings at this place or another, that's where mentoring can really help to sort of give you the toolkit that you need to be successful. And then also just to find out, to get information and know who's looking, who's looking to hire and then what that person is looking for in a candidate and things like that. If someone's listening to this now and they're thinking, yeah, actually, I could do that. What, do you want to give a shout out to your mentoring program and, and how people can find out about it? Um, so yeah, it's called Room. Um, it's called Room Mentoring. And there, we have a website, a holding page up, uh, roommentoring.com. And then you can just contact me through the website. And we have an intake um, two to three times per year. And the nice thing about it is usually, you know, you have work experiences only a week long, or you do an internship and you're in and out. But with this group, I like to, to let the mentees stay for a little while so that they can learn as much as they can. And, you know, all of the mentees who've come through we've gotten them some jobs at some really nice places and it's nice to see them progressing. And some of them have become like little rising stars in their own right, which is really nice to see. Fantastic. We'll be back with more from Kenya after this. I'm here with Kenya and we have some advice from probably the best source right now from Ruth Bailey Ginsburg is on your list here. Yeah. So that is, um, I've only recently come upon that piece of advice, obviously, you know, in the, the very, very, the wake of her very sad passing, um, but it was advice that I'd heard before verbalized differently. She talks about it within the context of marriage. And I think for those of us who are either, you know, living with a partner or, or married or whatever, I mean, lockdown is a real test. Um, and so, you know, cause space can be healthy, but um, 
you know, you're living with your partner day in and day out and, you know, things are, you know, bound to happen where someone might irritate you by leaving a cup in a, mm. in a sink one too many times or whatever. But with her that, you know, there was this incredible piece of advice about everyone needs to just be a little bit deaf, <laughs> which is that idea of picking your battles mm. carefully, like really rec recognizing when it's time to like, you know, fight a battle and when it's time to just, you know, be a little bit deaf and just let it roll off your roll off your back, pretend you didn't hear it. Mm. And also I think it's really useful in life as well, because sometimes, especially in this year, there is so much out there to get worked up about and get angry about and like literally get outraged about. Literally like you've scrolled through and you just, it's just constant like escalating sources of um, outrage and, and indignation and things like that. So I feel like that's something that I want to like put on a t-shirt because <laughs> I just think it's so important to like really pick the battles that matter in my own life. So it was helpful for perspective for me because I am definitely very anal retentive about like my space. Like I really rely and like I need like a calm space. Even in the office, I didn't like to have anything on my desk. So like that whole idea of lockdown and having like small children around and like a husband and just literally day in and day out. I love it. I live for it. Like, you know, they're my nearest and dearest. I want to be with them all day, every day. But there's something about this space. Like I, I just don't have the bandwidth to like clean as much as I'd like Yeah. or just, just certain things like that. So I've had to learn to pick my battles and like release control. Um, and so there was something about seeing how she verbalized that age old problem that really stuck with me. Or even just, yeah, you know, I, I hear a spill or something break in the background. I'll just be a little bit deaf to it. Yes. <laughs> just let it happen. I'll clean it later. As opposed to like spiraling over it. Yeah, I love that. And I love that it can apply to all parts of your life. And I think in yeah. social media, it's so important at the moment. I think yesterday I was on Twitter and just there was just hundreds of things you could have been absolutely furious about. So it's true. I mean, it's crazy right now because um, just when you think we can't, it can't get worse. <laughs> the new cycle and then we turn a corner and it does yeah. it's kind of comical I almost just sometimes you just have to laugh to keep from like crying and pulling your hair out yeah but it's about that clarity of message as well and obviously you're American and we're about to come up for yes. a big presidential vote so people are just trying to distill it down aren't they to that one message vote and is that something yeah. even being in the UK you've been keen to try and push with people yes literally I just keep saying I don't think anyone can overstate how important this election season is mm. and it's tricky for me as an American living here because I keep wanting to just broadcast it but I mean I'm engaging with a largely British audience mm. but then I have quite a few you know people I engage with back home as do you know my expat friends here and so we just I'm just doing whatever I can um to really just press upon you know the people I know who might be sitting on the fence mm. that you know now is not the time to sit this election out it's so incredibly important um, and then my mother is really active and engaged and campaigning back home yeah. and she's definitely someone she has always been someone to like work a phone bank like she's very sort of politically engaged and so I think that's um, that inspires me as well so you know I'll just pick up the phone and like participate and like calling, um, placing phone calls back home as well, just to sort of help drive people mm. to get out and vote, particularly in my home state of Virginia, where I grew up. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that kind of leads into your next piece of advice, which is simple, be decisive. Where's that come from for you? Yeah, so that has come from one of my um, first jobs here in London, actually. You know, I was managing a team of people and, you know, I was just given, you know, 
just a word of advice in terms of some like management training, just to sort of be really clear and decisive, just in terms of like um, communication and just, you know, getting things done for the sake of things, you know, running smoothly. But in terms of my life, I try to be as decisive as I can as well, because we are bombarded with so much choice that it can be really, you know, tempting to sort of just agonize over things, mm. particularly particularly life decisions right now. I think sometimes you can just feel like you want to get it right. Mm. You just don't want to get these big life decisions wrong. Like, what should I be doing with my life? Where should I be living? Should it be in the city? Should it be in the country? Where should I go? You know, like we, right. I think a, a lot of friends that I know are like really facing sort of big pivotal life decisions or even just, should it be Ocado or Sainsbury or like, what should I, you know, yeah. what should I do for my like weekly shop? And so I find that decisiveness, just deciding quickly and making an informed decision rather than just sort of agonizing and deliberating for too long mm-hmm. has helped me because otherwise I just won't make the decision because I spend so much time thinking about the making of the decision. And that, that I think that's something that's quite particular to me. Like I used to just spend a lot of time thinking about all of the different courses of actions rather than just deciding. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's really been helpful. And if any, there's anyone else out there who's kind of wired in the same way, <laughs> I would definitely recommend following that advice because it has definitely changed things for me in the years since. Mm. Yeah, we're in a, such a weird intersection, aren't we, where we have so much choice, but we're so time poor. So that's that's great piece of advice. Cool. Uh, and your your final piece of good advice, I love the phrasing of this. It's surround yourself with people who talk about ideas, not other people. Yes. So um, essentially, I think there is a real history of, um, particularly in fashion, of just gossip. We love a good gossip. We love a good chat, mm. which is great. I mean, I love it as much as the next person, but in this lockdown period, I've realized that what I miss most about seeing people all the time is the chat. But also one of the things Mm. that I don't miss is, you know, all of that chat about other people, um, which is so inevitable when you work in an industry full of, you know, journalists and that sort of thing. I've realized that, you know, I'm always the happiest and I I leave a, a, a gathering feeling most inspired when I'm around people who are talking about things, like what we could do. Like that's how my mentoring program came about. It's a dinner with girlfriends. And we were talking about what we want to do in life and how we can get back in our own journey. And, you know, so that's, I feel like, you know, more meaningful things come out of that. Or my book, you know, a lot of that came out of conversations with my girlfriends, which is why I asked, you know, friends to contribute to it. So looking back, I think some of the things that have had the most meaning to me and that I've been the most proud of have come out of conversations with friends about ideas and, and things like that. And so I think, yeah, that, that piece of advice about, you know, surrounding yourself with people who talk about ideas rather than other people, that, that wasn't even given to me by another human being. It was one of those like little inspirational things that you see on Instagram. And usually I roll my eyes Mm. at that stuff. I mean, I'm really kind of allergic to all of that kind of like that forced messaging that like, you know, you just scroll through day in and day out. But I saved that one because it really resonated with me. I liked it. And it seemed to sort of ring true for me because yeah a lot of the things that have happened in my life that I'm most proud of have come out of just you know the, the people in my life who are quite big thinkers um, rather than sort of getting bogged down into the um, you know the talking about people behind their backs and that, that sort of thing which can easily sort of drive a conversation and take up a lot of space but that can just leave mm. you feeling quite gross afterwards. 
Mm. Do you think there's lots of barriers to entry uh, when we talk about journalism and the fashion industry? And do you think one of them is that people perceive it to be that kind of bitchy atmosphere? And and do you feel that it is or have you experienced it to be a lot more supportive? I think it's changing. When I first started, it was definitely, you know, it's filled, the industry is filled with incredible people like dynamic, smart, big hearted, kind people. But early days, there was definitely a fair amount of like backstabby bitchiness where like you walk out of a room and you just weren't sure what people were going to be saying about you. Um, whereas now I find that things are much more sisterly than they they were before. But also it's never been more fashionable to be like, you know, sisterly and kind and community. And there's like all these buzzwords right now that really lend themselves to just being, you know, kind to other people and supportive and all of that. So the culture of fashion is definitely changing, but you know, you definitely, it's been a journey for sure. I mean, when I first started out, that definitely was not the case at all Um, (laughs) where you, you know, it's very much kind of like that really old school, like everyone, it's like an episode of dynasty or something where you're all like (laughs) smiling and hugging and then somebody walks away and then, you know, then they start spilling the real tea. Yeah. So not to say, I mean, that stuff is fun too with it, you know, Mm. but it, in moder like in extreme moderation <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so yeah but it, yeah the industry is changing the culture is changing for sure yeah it's not devil wears prada days i would no, say no definitely not <laughs> and we like to finish the show on the worst piece of advice you've ever had so tell me about that yeah so the worst piece of advice that i've gotten um was when i was this was just it sticks with me to this day i'll never forget it i was in school at um, university of virginia where i went and we were all talking about our plans uh, for beyond school, like what we wanted to do and things like that. And I mentioned that I wanted to move to New York and, you know, intern at the magazine and try my hand in in media and publishing. And it didn't sound unlike anyone else's goals. Like my, my classmates all wanted to do similar things. One wanted to move to Washington, DC, was keen to work into politics. I mean, get into politics and all that. Um, anyhow, this professor told me that I should manage my expectations and that I should probably consider staying put in Virginia and trying instead trying my hand at teaching. Teaching is a brilliant career path, by the way. Um, she, you know, she suggested I try teaching rather than moving to New York and trying my hand in publishing because she said it was very competitive and she felt like I would probably end up being disappointed. Uh, so, a that was terrible advice that I didn't listen to. But also just a terrible way to like squash a student's like morale. I mean, I know lots of people encounter, I mean, a lot of the mentees in my group have encountered similar, you know, um, demoralizing circumstances and things like that. And I just like to bring that up because just because someone doesn't see something being in the cards for you does not mean that that's the case. I mean, it was advice that I obviously didn't follow and thank God I didn't, otherwise I wouldn't be here in London with you at Grazia. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely hands down the worst piece of advice I've ever been given. Yeah. I mean, I, I always try to think about what, what harm does trying ever do? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't think anyone ever regrets giving it a go. Exactly. I mean, I think it's quite healthy to have that, have that kind of why, why not me, you know, perspective. Like you just have to get out there and try it. And it might not be the best. I mean, I also you know, I moved to New York and spent a couple of years like auditioning on the dance circuit. You know, I tried that as well. That wasn't for me, but at least I tried it, wow, yeah. you know, and I don't have any regrets now because I, I tried it and I, and I saw for myself that it wasn't quite, quite the best thing. So, I mean, 
yeah, I, I think you just have to, you always have to try. Yeah. Well, dancing and teaching's losses are gains. So thank you so <laughs> much for coming on the podcast, Kenya. Your book is out in November. Yes, November 26th. Great. Thanks for having me. Grazia's fashion director, Kenya Hunt, our latest woman worth listening to. As ever, thank you for being with us. Please, please share the podcast if you've enjoyed listening, either on your social media or when you're talking about it in person with friends, if you get to see any. You can help us spread the love. Last week, we had a great chat with model and star of Sky TV's Riviera, Poppy Delavine. She was amazing too. So go back, find her in your feed if you haven't heard her yet. I basically spent my whole teenage years being so horrible to boys that I really fancied. What it did do is it did keep the boys at bay, which in turn worked out well for my yes. dad. We've got new episodes coming out every Friday, so please subscribe to get us automatically downloaded each week.